The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... So, uh, who am I speaking with? Yeah, this is Eric Piana. Um, I'm a singer and a guitar player with the band Capiac. And uh, so, the first question for me is, why is this song called Earth Memory? Yeah, so you know, we were approached with uh, with a prompt, um, and without getting into too much detail, the prompt kind of touched on some elements of. Uh, of addiction and of uh, what seemed to be kind of conflicting, um, you know, moral and emotional uh, kind of subject matter. And um, we decided to approach it, um, you know, specifically kind of on this idea of, of addiction and kind of leaning um, on some, something, you know, not explicitly like a drug or anything like that, but just kind of, you know, using things as a crutch. And I think that the idea of, of the title for us, earth memory, con- it kind of consolidated all of the themes into what seems to be this kind of like the memory of that each of us have stored inside of us. And I think that with addiction specifically, uh, a lot of times it's it's these kind of like deep memories that are you know stored inside of you from childhood or from experiences you had and then you know you go into adulthood and and sometimes you don't even realize it and all of a sudden here you are kind of using something as a crutch and so the song for us was really supposed to kind of touch on this not in such a you know negative way actually what's interesting to me about the song is that it's it's kind of uplifting like the the melodies and the and the the overall like tone of the song it kind of has these chapters but the central element is like pretty happy weirdly um but uh yeah that's kind of loosely where where the title came from uh, okay a lot of things i want to talk to you about based on what you just said but l- let's start with the confession so i mean this guy was an addict but he's also a doctor yeah. He was a doctor who was writing prescriptions for himself and for his uh, patients who seem like his friends or he has, I mean, I mean, not only was he an addict, he also admitted to having sex with one of the, uh, with a patient and they went into cardiac arrest while they were doing it in a, in a hospital. <laughs> like he's, yeah, no. he's <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I'm not the kind of person, I'm not the kind of person who really believes in bad people necessarily or evil, you know, yeah. but, um, this guy in, from my perspective was, uh, bad. He's a bad guy. He did a lot of bad things. Now granted he's an addict. I mean, I know that's, that's, yeah. um, that it's not fair to say an addict has full agency over their decisions, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm curious. Cause, cause one, cause what, what do you think about him? 
what, what did you guys think? What did you and Delwyn think about like him as a person? Like you obviously yeah. empathize with him as an addict, but what about, I don't know, say more about what you thought about him. Yeah. I mean, you know, all we got was what, like 30 seconds of his confession. Like and I, I, yeah. I think like <laughs> you know, pretty short amount of time to, to create a kind of character judgment. Uh, I, I think, I think just based on what he said and his actions, there seemed to be like, it seems to be like somewhat troubled in, in the sense that, you know, he, he had the uh, foresight or the accountability or whatever you want to call it to, to kind of know what he was doing was kind of in a gray area. Um, and yet he seemed to kind of have an element of like, pride about it which it's like you know honestly to me <laughs> this is gonna sound kind of weird but like honestly like i i think there is a little bit of a gray zone like you're a doctor but like obviously so many people like fall in love at, like in the workplace and like i don't really i can't speak on him having a romance with a patient because like i don't really know what it's like in the doctor's room like if that's like something you know everybody's like oh you can't have a relationship in the workplace, but that, I don't know. It seems like that's how like most of our parents met. So I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, really good point. yeah. Right. Like I, I, but I definitely am like sensitive to like, you know, uh, obviously the dynamics, like he, him being in the power, like dynamic of being a doctor and then also have it being the one providing drugs. It's, it's not hard to take a step to thinking that, these drugs helped him to like have this relationship with this, with this patient. Um, and that he was maybe just thinking about his own, you know, he just wanted to like get some and like, wasn't really thinking about the reality of this person. And I think that's probably where, where it seems like, okay, this is troubled. Like, you know, you should, you're the doctor, you should be the one that should know to be like, Hey, this, this isn't, this isn't the right time, you know, <laughs> like, especially yeah. if they're going it, if that's the consequence that this person maybe is like putting their own life at risk, like that's kind of, that seems like the number one rule of a doctor, like don't put your patient at risk, especially for your own, like, just cause you want to fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he, it, it, something that Zach and I touched on a little bit was like, you know, he, uh, unfortunately the way drugs access to drugs is set up in our country, you have to go through doctors, you mm -hmm. know, and that's a, a lot of power that they have. And maybe that's yeah. not a hundred percent Then maybe that's not the best system, you know, but that seemed to be like, um, the crux of what made his actions bad. A, a yeah. lot of his behavior is just that you know, he's an addict. So you gotta, you gotta get, gotta get your fix. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a, a difficult place to be because sure you're an addict. And also like this, you know, being addicted is like an illness. It's, and, and yet at the same time, here you are in a position where people are relying on you. And I think that's just like, a hard place to stand, you know, how do you, how can you be system as a doctor? And yet here you are abusing the whole thing that the, like the entire trust, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you want to be able to trust your doctor, right? Like that should be like baseline shit, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think you see it with any position of power. Um, and especially if it's like a, a male dominated position of power where like kind of taking advantage that yeah. I think that's where it, like, like I get it too, where it's like, this guy seems kind of bad because it seems like he's taken advantage of his position. And then I think particularly the part that makes me feel like I don't like this guy is just the tone and the seeming like, like kind of nonchalantness, almost as if he was bragging like, Oh, I had sex with this patient. Like shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was like, uh, actually this isn't funny. This is like you, you know, if we knew, if we knew who you are, like, I mean, you probably wouldn't be a doctor anymore. Like, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so there's something else you said I wanted to kind of key in on. Uh, You said that the song sounds like a party, which, which I agree. Like there are, in your words, there are like chapters of the song where I think it sounds like a party. Um, And I'm curious, was that something you guys intentionally set out to do? Um, I'm not so sure about it being necessarily like a party per se. Um, I do think it feels like, like kind of, uh, there's like a levity to it. There's like a brightness to the center of the song, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think we really set out to do. I think, we, we, you know, we kind of got the prompts, but then (laughs) it was so dark and I don't think we really wanted to like go there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we just took the kind of general idea of addiction and zoomed out from this guy's story into, I think what maybe was a more personal story, at least for me, like writing Mm -hmm. the lyrics, I felt like the interesting thing about, you know, just, being a human and, and, and a lot of times like addiction sounds like such a like serious word, but like, you know, people, people get addicted to hanging out with their friends. Like people get addicted to like socializing and, and like people get addicted to watching TV, even though TV is amazing. Like, like addiction isn't always this like most terrifying thing. Like you're going to, you know, do the worst thing ever. Like, I think that there's a spectrum of addiction And so I think for me, it was like, it was kind of this idea of holding two things, two kind of opposites at the same time. Like me realizing for myself that I was like, um, had addictive personality to like, for me, it was eating for a long time, um, as a way of like coping with just like, you know, existential depression and stuff like this. And, but it was at the same time that I also was living my life and having fun and making friends and like, like, um, and I think that that was kind of, you know, somewhat, uh, purposeful on our part to have these chapters where it was maybe a little more serious, uh, or somber or kind of intense. Um, and then it kind of smooths out into this almost fun sounding, you know, party maybe isn't quite the right word, but like, it's definitely like a joyous um, element in my ears. And then it kind of gets back into the ending where it's just, it's kind of this release into like the universe or like into space. That's what the ending feels like to me. It just is like this, this kind of ramp up into like oblivion. 
And um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's a, be- that's a, a beautiful description of the song. I, it does kind of ramp up into oblivion. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm wondering what your, what your opinion is. Obviously this song isn't an example of this, but do you think that songs have to reflect their lyrical content? Like, like, would it be a better representation of this confession if it sounded heavy and depressing or does that not matter? Really what I think is that songs are like very complicated and Mm. it's almost as if it depends on the light that you view the song. And Mm. it's almost as if the song is like this 3d thing and it, what angle you look at it is going to affect what you take from it. So if you're looking at it, I know a lot of people who they only listen to the lyrics. And so for those people, the lyrics are going to be really important, but they don't really care about the song necessarily. You know what I mean? They don't care mm-hmm. about the, the like instrumentation and stuff. Other people where they don't listen to lyrics at all. Um, and so for me, I think, um, I don't think it necessarily needs to be tied to the lyrics. Like I think what's interesting about the first line uh, you know, talking about uh, just like the word like using, like when I use is like kind of this like pretty on the nose, like you're talking about doing some sort of drug. Um, and yet it's like kind of this major sounding chord progression. Yeah, they're definitely at odds. And I, I don't really know, like, <laughs> I don't really know how I feel about it. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I remember writing it and then we've played it and I was like, well, it sounds good. It's like kind of weirdly, like they, they both kind of, you know, poke each other a little bit, like the, 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 the chords, the instruments versus the lyrics. But um, I suppose to answer your question, uh, I don't think they need to, but I think in some in some instances, the lyrics are amplified by the um, chords and instrumentation. And I think in vice versa, the chords and the melodies can be amplified by the words. So there is a relationship there that I think is worthy of, of, of study. You, I think what you're saying is that it's, it's sort of optional. It, 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 can, it can be a thing yeah. to enhance the lyrics, but it's not like something you like, it has to happen for you. You have to make it like, you have yeah. To make, you know, yeah yeah and there's so many songs in history of like like i feel like disco did this a lot where it's like a disco song and it seems like so happy like you just like nothing matters on the dance floor and yet the song itself is talking about you know um like the struggle of black america or Mm -hmm. or, uh like different things like the this where it's it just doesn't it's sometimes it's like the vessel you use to, to get the lyrics across because, you know, people often don't want to just like the first thing they reach to in the morning, isn't just the most depressive song ever. (laughs) You know, a lot of times, but, but, you know, how do you get that, you know, those thoughts and those um, um, ideas across Mm-hmm. Uh, without just like completely destroying someone's day. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's, I've been uh, working on this guy's record, producing this guy's record and it's like an, a, a crooner album, right? With, so he, he hired an arranger. Someone's like doing big string arrangements with a full orchestra mm-hmm. for these very kind of old style, old sounding songs. Um. And it's interesting working with the arranger who's kind of steeped in a totally 
non-indie rock tradition, you know, because for him, you know, there have been like instrument yeah. choices where he's like, well, we can't have French horn on this song. It's too lighthearted. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's interesting. Cause I think he just comes from a really different background with it. And so for him, it's yeah. like, Oh no, you would never have a French horn on a song that's supposed to be lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. That's funny. I, I, I do think that there's, there's one other thing to mention, which I feel like nothing matters when you have the X factor, you know, when a song for whatever reason, essence, Mm-hmm. like everything else doesn't matter. Like, you know what I mean? We have like, yeah. like your example is great because there's rules and there's, there's traditions and orchestra and they're nice guys, especially for people who maybe don't have a vision or like are struggling with a vision and a specific part, like, you know, yeah. lean on your elders and lean on your ancestors to kind of provide the answers like, yes, but, at the same time, if for whatever reason, your arrangement of shapes and sounds and melodies and lyrics, like just kind of hits on this like new, exciting shape, you know, like mm-hmm. I think as songwriters, like that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to unlock this new, you know, this new kind of little thing that nobody's ever seen before. And if you do that, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, you can have a song that's the most depressing thing ever with the happiest beat you can imagine. Yeah. But if it works, it works. Like that's it. Yeah. So one one thing, uh, one thing I've been curious about. Uh, you are born and raised in Austin, and in the time that we've been working together on this uh, this thing, uh, you have been in. LA you I I don't know if it was you or your your partner Delwin but went to Europe moved to Europe is that true mm-hmm. yep Delwin moved to to Berlin just in uh, June of this year so and I'm in LA still yeah and you're still in LA I I'm curious how do you guys well how do you guys do it how do you do it from far away like what's, what is it, is it, yeah. you, do you have to get together in the same place to make it work or how, how do you, how do you, how are you a band remotely? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Um, you know, I think, uh, truly we haven't actually, um, we haven't hit what I feel like is the difficult part of a long distance relationship, um, work, you know, workmanship, uh, because, you know, he, he was there for the summer, but then I visited him and then we've been playing a bunch of shows and we're about to go on a big tour, um, in January and February, uh, like a U.S. tour. Um, so we, we really have a lot of work already lined up in the future with us being together. And, you know, you just kind of build in, you know, you build in what needs to be built in and far, as far as like him flying back to rehearse for the tour or this kind of stuff. And I think, the main thing that I feel like we're going to try for is it's kind of this structure of, of work where it's like a, you, you know, we have these containers is what I try to think of it as mm-hmm. almost like when you're, when you're approaching, you know, if you're even like therapy, you know, you have therapy and you want to have a container where you, where you open up something and then you close it and it, and it allows for this kind of like predictable 
uh, time structure. So for us, it's like, okay, we want to do a writing retreat. We have, we have two weeks together, you know? So we're opening it up for two weeks. That gives us a timeline. We know how much time we have. We try as hard as we can. We work all day. And then after the two weeks, we kind of step aside. And I think this is honestly a better structure for us than what we've been doing for a while, which is like, we lived together for like eight years, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're like next to each other all the time. And so there's not really this impetus. There's not really like, you know, you just kind of, when you feel like it, you write. And actually it's like much slower of a pace than you would imagine, even though he's like living right next, you know, on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the hope is that going into this, these next few years is that we just do writing retreats and we use the like inspiration of wherever we go to write, whether that's mm-hmm. in Germany or just traveling to friends' houses or whatever, um, that that'll allow us to kind of keep the excitement, but certainly it is a little bit of a gray area. You know, he's like literally 5,000 miles across the world. So <laughs> I think it'll be, it'll have its challenges for sure. Uh, you guys are were both born and raised in Austin, correct? Um, I was not, uh, I was born in Florida, but I came to Austin in like uh, 2003 so I, I usually tell people that I'm from Austin because I, I, I pretty much became an adult in Austin. So it's, it's kind of my, my home as far as that goes. And we can talk shit about Austin. It's just, this is a safe space for that, but what, what, <laughs> what why did you guys leave? Why did y'all move away? Yeah. Um, so I think there was a, a, a lot of things in fact, and like in play, um, one of the main things from like just a, a band standpoint was, you know, we had played a show, I think it was in 2017 where we played Scoot in, uh, and we sold, we sold out Scoot in, which is like, you know, 1200 tickets or something. It was mm-hmm. really amazing, uh, life experience, you know? And I think after that, we were kind of like, wow, this is, this is happening. You know, people are coming, people, you know, enjoy what we're doing. And I think for, with, with what, what we did in Austin was very much grassroots. Like we started just playing house parties and we would just do like three shows a weekend. We would play all these house parties, like two, three shows on a night. And uh, I just remember we just hit it real hard, real fast. And for like six months, we were just all in and uh, not no paid shows. We wouldn't, we were never getting paid, you know, it was just for the like love of a party. And just like, it was also new. Yeah. And I think we thought like, if we can make it in Austin in a grassroots way, like let's go to LA and try to do the same thing because we knew that's where all the, like, at least then we thought, you know, that was where the music business, the heart of the music industry is. So we were like, let's go to Austin. Let's do the same grassroots thing. Or sorry, let's go to LA, move to LA and just start playing house parties and just get every show we can and just try to grow a following out there. Um, so a little bit was kind of like a business strategy in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other element up to it was just um, Ellen's partner uh, or sorry, Delwyn's partner um was interested in film in the film industry. And so there was also kind of the impetus there of just like, we could move, we could do music, they could do film, you know? Um, so 
honestly, what actually happened was the two of them moved, Elwin and Ellen. And I was, I was really hesitant of moving. Um, and it wasn't until I had a couple like very choice experiences in LA that, that I started to see the like soul of the city. And I realized that, you know, Austin will always be here. Like my family lives here. We have such a big following here. Like it feels like it's not going anywhere, you know? So yeah. why not try to explore somewhere else? I think that was kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and now, and now having, you know, half the band in quotes, uh, in, in Europe, I mean, that's going to open new possibilities, you know, that's the thing about living anywhere long enough is you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, what's it called? The butterfly effect. It's like, you're, you're, there are opportunities that you're not even able to say yes or no to when you're in one place versus another and being in another cultural hub, like Berlin yeah. or something, you know, just new, new possibilities. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. I feel like, I think there's also an element of when you grow up somewhere like Austin is so like, it, I don't use maps when I'm in Austin, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just, I know the whole city when people tell me where they are. Like I pretty much know, I mean, now it's a little different because there's so many new places like, restaurants and bars like i'm kind of it's a stranger i'm a stranger to the city again but um but for the most part i feel like you know i kind of know it i know what it is and so and i and i and i still wasn't quite like satisfied you know i still had the itch i think like is uh, you know i don't know if that ever goes away but it definitely once i moved to la it was like now i'm i'm kind of really a stranger here and i could kind of I don't know. It's like humbling a little bit, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're doing a, a national yeah. support, a, support, a national support tour, right? You're opening for magic city hippies. Yes. Yes. Have you guys ever done mm-hmm. a, a North American tour like this opening for someone? <laughs> um, we have not, uh, this is, this is definitely a big deal for us. Um, I know that, we, we've done some stuff with this band out of Brooklyn, uh, cool company, and they have done some shows with the magic city hippies guys. And so I think that's kind of how we linked up. Uh, and yeah, this was such a huge opportunity and it was kind of like, you know, they had told us about it, but we weren't like they had, we hadn't signed anything yet. And finally, it, you know, it's all happening. And yeah, this is, it's thir- So it's 33 shows in 50 someday, you know, 50 days. Uh, and it's right in this, like smack in the middle of winter. <laughs> I like, there's going to be an adventure for sure, because we don't have a van. We just have a, like a car that we're taking. And so the likelihood that we get like stuck somewhere or like, I just like drive into a mountain of snow, like something's going to happen probably, but, uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it's going to be an adventure for sure. And I mean, their music is so good. I, I really was. I was kind of, when I first heard we got the tour, I had never heard them. And I was like, oh man, like, how did we go on tour with a band that we don't like, you know? <laughs> you can say it. The word and hippies, then I the word started hippies. listening to some of the songs. I was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the word hippies is in their band name. Yeah, it's no, a bad exactly. sign. You're right on the money. I, <laughs> I know. Exactly. No, okay. So yeah. So we're getting into it. Basically I was like, I was like, okay, Magic City Hippies, it sounds like a jam band. 
And D and I have like real talk. D and I have been trying to back away from like the jam scene a little bit because I think, you know, because of our booking agent, we had one of our older booking agents and just for a weird sequence of events, we started playing all of these like California, like kind of, kind of like, I like to call them like Amazon burn events. Like they're like, you know, (laughs) I know exactly what kind of describe this for someone who knows nothing about these. Sure. Sure. It's like, you get all of your like burner clothes. uh, You're like kind of hippie shaman, like kind of uh, rainbow led light, like equipment off of Amazon to go and like, you know, do like hippie flip in the, in the middle of the woods. And, and I'll say this, like, it's it's kind of like a weird thing because a lot of times these hippie festivals are in the most beautiful places like the hippies if they if there's anything the hippies know it's that they love trees and i am like kind of like i there was a pathway when i was younger that led me to being a hippie and i didn't go that way but i like (laughs) like it's like you know it's like one of the roads i didn't travel but I, i see it yeah 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 so I'm like, there's part of me that's like, oh, like I love this. But then at the same time, what's really difficult, I think, for me is from like a uh, performer's aspect is that um, I, it's just all about the audience, you know, and I just we just never really loved the audience at some of these festivals because I mean, I don't know how much we want to go into all that, but <laughs> there's like there's uh you know, it's just a relationship to listening to music that we haven't found. But, but, but what, I'll, what, I'll, what I'll say, finish on this, is that when I heard Magic City Hippies, I was like, oh, this is just some like basic, like, like some, you know, dreadlock white dudes playing a jam band. Like, and here we are. And it's our only opportunity to open for a band. And it's this. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And then like, thank God I listened to music. And I was like, oh, it's not this at all. Yeah, it's not this at all. They're a great band. Yeah. It's, and I'm just like, you know, how, how weird. And I'm like, it, I'm almost, it's actually said it's interesting. Cause it's almost like a linguistic thing. Then it's like, how is it that we're stuck with this kind of derogatory t- term towards hippies? And yet this band maybe didn't even realize that at all. Like hippies were kind of a cool thing. They were like, you know, it was back in the sixties when anything was possible and it was like revolutionary and all this kind of stuff. And like they didn't, mm-hmm. they just didn't quite get the negative side that I feel like <laughs> we did. They didn't get the memo, dude. It, it is, it is, it is a good thought though. And I think what you're saying is, uh, is fun. It's fun to think about because I, I know this band and I definitely judge them based on their name. And then I listen to the music and I had a, Huh. I had the same realization as you without the loaded opportunity behind it. Mm. Man, this band's really good. I have all these connotations with this word. And it does kind of make me think about like all of the shit that I'm just rejecting based on name musically, you know, or things like that. And it's, it's, it's a wild thought for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you um, is the band at its core is you and you and Delwyn. Um, But I've seen you play with an eight piece band. I've seen you DJ. How, how do you guys navigate that and, and explain to me sort of how you got there or has it always been the case? Mm -hmm. So, so the band started, it was just Delwyn. Uh, Delwyn was making like Justin Timberlake, like remix edits and putting them out on YouTube uh, in like 2013. And him and I had played a lot of music together in like various projects and at some point we got together and started writing together and it was just kind of working. And so we decided to start 
like he basically asked me, Hey, do you want to join this band? So it started with just us two for quite a while for maybe, you know, I don't know, writing for a few months and then like playing a bunch of shows and, and we were just doing the duo thing. But, um, but we, you know, we, we played in a lot of different projects and we used to play in jazz, a jazz band together. So we had a lot of like talented musician friends. So it just kind of made sense almost in like a spirit of like a jazz project. You kind of just like, Hey, who's available to come jump in, you know? Um, and so we would, we had a friend who would come in and play percussion or we had a, you know, a friend who would play sax or some singers that would come in. And so we just started kind of basically just reaching around us and seeing who, you know, who was, who we were jiving with. And, um, so that's how we started. It's almost like this little tornado, you know, just people come in, people go, uh, just depending on what's alive and, and, and who wants to be around. Um, and so that, that kind of spirit has definitely been a part of the project since pretty early on. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the same thing. So we have this group that we play with in Austin that has, has been pretty consistent for a while. Um, and then we, we, when we moved to LA, you know, we just, we would play shows and we were only getting paid a few hundred bucks. It doesn't really make sense to fly all of our Austin friends out, especially when there's so many talented people in LA. So like, I, I think some of it's just like born out of necessity or just like convenience. Like we can find a sax player to, to jump in when we're in LA or a bass player or percussion player. And, um, so that's kind of the, the general vibe, but we definitely have a, a, you know, there's a couple of people that have been there since the very beginning or like near the beginning that we keep kind of coming back to. And, um, so yeah, it's kind of just this like revolving door. Um, and it mostly it's centered around what feels alive. You know, if we put a song out that we collaborate with a certain singer or something like that, like we're going to bring that singer to some of the new shows and all this kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But like at last night's show, we had uh, a lot of like kind of early members that were joining us. Um, most, most notable would be Marshall Lowry. Marshall's our sax player. He goes by Papa Mongoose. And he was in the jazz band that Delwin and I first met in like high school. So he's been kind of one of the longest, longest kind of Capiac uh, collaborators collaborators yes thank you <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so for this upcoming tour what uh what version of the band is going out yeah so the tour is it's gonna mostly be delwin and i um because of many factors but mostly just uh it's expensive to bring a band man you know yeah, i wish totally. i could bring drums and you know hopeful you know, choir, but, uh, so we're going to just do, uh, the two of us. And then for some of the bigger cities, we'll try to fly out, um, different members. So I think in New York, we'll have, um, Cicely fully love. She'll come, she'll, she'll sing. We'll have, uh, maybe Rudy or Jeff come. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of dependent on the cities, but mostly we're kind of advertising it as a duo tour. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the hope is uh, actually what, so what happened was we, we started, we started a different name or we started playing under a different name called the Capiac Friendship Alliance. And this was, um, this was because we wanted, uh, 
we wanted to kind of differentiate the Capiac duo experience from the Capiac 10 piece band experience because they're really sonically so different. Um, and so the hope is that, you know, in the future, we'll put some music out under, and we have some music out right now under Capiac Friendship Alliance, which is like some live performances we had done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hope is that we, um, you know, at some point we, we do a full tour, you know, it'd be sweet to do a U.S. tour with the Capiac Friendship Alliance. You know, we have a whole bus, we bring the drums, we bring the horn section. It's like a 10, 12 piece band. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other tours is just kind of more of an electronic sound. Del one and I with the Octatrack, with the synthesizers, lots of looping. Um, it's kind of a way for us to differentiate it a little bit, but mostly it's kind of like you get what you get, you know? <laughs> yeah, people, sure. people just have to trust in the vision and just know that we're going to bring whatever we bring. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that's what they get. <laughs> um. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for, for being here and being part of this whole crazy thing. We love the song you made. Yeah. Walker. It's so great. I really appreciate it. I know Delwyn does too. Um, sad he couldn't be here, but, uh, yeah, what y'all are doing is great. We Thanks, love the man. song confessional and, um, you know, excited to see it as it grows. Thanks man. Yeah. And let's, uh, good luck on your tour. Are you guys coming to Austin on the tour? Yeah, we'll, we'll be, uh, we're playing at Stubbs uh, the first week of March. So, Fuck we'll, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. Um, we'll do good luck and, and safe travels and uh, talk to you soon, man. All right. Hey, also, uh, I'm going to bring your amp over to your studio very shortly. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Later, yeah, man. Th- yeah, thanks again for that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, my brother in Christ, Walker Lukens, Rylan Kettery, Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Adam Mason, Mike Lee, and brought to you by KUTX. That theme song you heard at the top was written and performed by me and Zach, our friend Topaz McGarrickle. It was recorded and mixed by Adam Mason. If you enjoy this podcast, the very best thing you can do for us is send your favorite episode to somebody that you think might enjoy it. If you want to do anything else, give us a review, rate us, follow us, and be sure to listen to the next episode.